Good afternoon, I'm Al Cresta. Going to take some time and toggle back and forth between uh, St. Augustine and St. Paul today. St. Augustine's feast day is August 28th. And in the Confessions, he writes of a story. He was in the garden meditating, and he heard a child's voice from somewhere telling him, take and read. He opened the scriptures, apparently randomly, to St. Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 13, where Paul writes, Do not behave in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ, and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. He says, when he read those words, it was as if a light of security had infiltrated my heart. All the darkness of my doubts had dissipated. Augustine, the teacher of rhetoric, was on his way to becoming St. Augustine, Bishop of Hippo, the most influential Christian thinker in the history of the Church. Before we get to St. Augustine today, however, I'd like to look at an important feature of St. Paul's ministry, which has a parallel in Augustine's life. It's the so-called thorn in the flesh mentioned in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 8 and 9. The chapter starts out with him describing a vision, a mystical experience he had, of being taken up into the third heaven, in which he saw things that he could not describe. And But after the experience, this is what he says, To keep me from becoming conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, to harass me to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And then Paul says, So I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest on me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Both ancient and modern commentators are all over the place on this. It means thorn, or it could mean splinter. It could be a sharpened stake. It could even be a cross. The thorn could be a big one or a little one. It could be a physical thorn, right, or a mental thorn. And like I said, the commentators have, are all over the place on this. So some people think Paul's thorn in the flesh was his, his enemies. Uh, I mean, they never let him alone. They tried to destroy his reputation. Some people think it was his anguish, unrelieved anguish over Israel's unbelief. That's another one. I think it was St. Augustine who thought it might be his struggle with sexual lust. Many people thought it was a literal physical affliction, like an oozing eye affliction that looked and smelled terrible. Some say an earache, some a headache, an epilepsy, hysteria, malaria, speech impediment. All these have been proposed. But regardless of what the thorn in the flesh literally was, there are at least three clear points that I think worth looking at with this. First point is that Paul, like all of us, instinctively sh- shrinks away from carrying the burden, from the pain and the suffering. But he turns from it and turns towards prayer. That's point number one. Point number two is that in prayer, he does commune with Christ, and Christ communes with him. And he gives some lasting insight into the purpose of the suffering. But he doesn't get his petition answered. He doesn't get what he asked for. Third thing that happens is as a result of the encounter with Christ, he finds strength and resolve 
in how to deal with this thorn in the flesh, because he knows from talking to Jesus that this thorn in the flesh will be for his good and will be for God's glory. Now, let me elaborate just a little bit. First of all, I said St. Paul, like all of us, instinctively turns away from pain, from suffering, from this burden. But he turns to prayer. He doesn't turn to alcohol or substances. He doesn't turn to shopping sprees. He doesn't turn to television. He doesn't turn to bitterness or gossip or cursing or murmuring against God, which was a very common fault of the ancient Israelites. In fact, St. Paul's prayer resembles Christ's Gethsemane prayer. Jesus is saying, take this cup. Paul's saying, take this thorn. Yet both are saying, yet not my will, but yours. Jesus prayed that the cup might pass from him. Paul, three times he asked for the thorn to be taken from him. But just as Jesus didn't choose to remove his crown of thorns, you know, as his passion night went on, Jesus tells Paul that he's not going to remove Paul's thorn either. So I like to think of Paul this way on this. This is really it's bothersome. It's a reminder to me that to be put your stuff out there with God. Make sure that your prayer is simple, direct, instinctual even. And I can imagine St. Paul with this thorn in the flesh problem. I can imagine him hitting the floor and burying his face in the floorboards. You know, and just shouting, Lord Jesus, take this away. Take this pain in my life away. It's interfering with what you've called me to do. I'm apostle to the Gentiles. And yet, look at what's happening here. My joy is being stolen from me. How can you expect me to do my best when I'm handicapped in this way? Furthermore, it's an embarrassment to the ministry. My enemies mock me. They give, you know, uh, even people of goodwill look at me, and they wonder what sin I committed to be in this condition. So the apostle is really only telling Christ what's in his heart which is essentially, get rid of this thing. And I think that's what he expects us to do. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Go ahead and empty out your deepest desires and thoughts before God. St. Paul doesn't worry about the appropriateness of his prayer. You know, you've probably heard people say they don't pray for themselves. They don't have any petitions for themselves. Well, good for them. Look, St. Paul is petitioning for himself. Even Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane petitioned for himself. There's an old Scottish Baptist preacher who died in 1910, but he had a great little saying, If anything is large enough to interest you, it is not too small to be spoken about to him. You know, how many times have you been to Mass, right? You're going to Mass, your heart's full of some nagging daily complaint, and you spend half your time at Mass swatting it away. Why not just grab it and lay it out there? Present it to the Lord right there. Dedicate your Mass to it. Our prayers shouldn't be disconnected from all the hubbub that's uh, bouncing around between our ears. Uh, Jesus is concerned with every bewildering collection of thoughts that we have. If anything's large enough to grab our interest, it is not too small to be spoken about to him. Now, we know that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us, right? But we also pray, as Christ did in Gethsemane, not my will, but thine be done. And this isn't just a formula on our lips. It's got to be the posture of our hearts. And that's what you see with St. Paul. He petitions the Lord three times to take away the burden, but the petition's not granted. It doesn't mean, however, that his prayer was unanswered. And that brings us to my second point. Paul's petition was not granted, but that doesn't mean that his prayer went unanswered. There are two ways of removing a burden. 
One way is to take it away, take its weight away, right? Just you remove it. The other way to deal with the burden is to strengthen the shoulders of the one carrying it. And that's how Paul's petition is answered here. Jesus says to him, my grace is sufficient. Now, this isn't news, okay? Paul had always known that God's grace was sufficient. But there are many things we know intellectually that haven't really seeped down to our souls. And yet, in this encounter with Christ, clearly, he's having a moment of illumination here. In the Catholic tradition, we call these the grace of illumination. It's when we move from knowing about something regarding God to actually experiencing it. St. Augustine uh, talks about these moments of illumination as the time when the divine light within the human mind uh, helps us acquire some new spiritual knowledge. And St. Thomas has his own way of looking at this too. But basically, these are moments intended to help us enter more deeply into those things we already know. And, um, you know, and I know, you know, I know from the prayer requests that we get here at Ave Maria Radio and EWTN, that many of you carry some pretty heavy weight. You know, it might be a chronic disease with an unfavorable prognosis. It might be children who have made shipwreck of their lives, and in fact, the undertow is kind of dragging you towards the shipwreck. And your dreams of a joyful, godly family life have been dashed or put in jeopardy. You know, we may have been abused and traumatized by some authority figure in our lives, parents, police, priests, you know, and the wounds are still open. And we need to experience that grace that Paul's talking about here, the grace in which Jesus says it is sufficient. Now, remember, he didn't tell Paul that his grace would be sufficient. He said his grace is sufficient. And Paul believed that. And he's no longer just clinging to a raft made of um, accurate propositions about God and worrying if those planks are going to hold up. No, he's now riding on a wave of grace. What he knew was true, he now has experienced as true. And that leads us to examine more closely what knowing the grace of God in this circumstance means for him. All right? And that brings us to number three. Christ's grace has illumined Paul's mind and heart. He isn't just waiting to get through this rough patch so he can get on with his life. This rough patch in his life is the occasion for Christ to be seen. His suffering his thorn in the flesh now becomes his opportunity to share Christ. So he writes, Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This is remarkable. Christ's strength is working through Paul's weakness and adversity. Remember what I said earlier. I could see Paul saying, look, this thorn in the flesh is keeping me from ministering the way I thought you wanted me to minister. I'm the apostle to the Gentiles, for heaven's sake. Why why have you handicapped me in this way? And Jesus says, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. These are the unpromising circumstances that Paul faces. That's the cross of Christ forming right there. It's the supreme power. What can I say? The cross, Jesus' crucifixion, is kind of the supreme example of power in weakness, right? And that's what St. Paul is going through here. When we know ourselves weak, we've taken the first step to strength. 
Just as when we know ourselves sinners, we've taken the first step to righteousness. So Paul spoke of his pain, his emptiness, his weakness to Jesus, pleaded with Jesus to remove this thorn in the flesh. Jesus doesn't grant that petition. Rather, he answers his prayer with an outpouring of grace that produced insight, wisdom, joy, and perseverance in the midst of suffering. St. Paul now is better equipped to carry out his mission for having been afflicted with this thorn in the flesh. He understands more deeply than ever that Christ crucified is the center of his message and it's also the center of his life. I'm Al Crustle.